Okay, let's take our Bibles and go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, as you're turning there, I'd like to introduce one of my best friends in all the world, Jeffrey D. Repass, here on the front row. Uh, he serves as associate pastor at First Baptist Colleyville in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He also owns his own business, does a lot of home uh, remodeling and so forth. And Jeff is single. Y'all awake this morning? Jeff is single. I'm not going to have him come up and turn around. Ladies are going to come and take a look at him at the front. Um, but I, I can give you his number. And uh, he loves Jesus. And he actually just got back uh, a few weeks ago. How long ago, Jeff, was it? From Zambia. It's about a... Just a few weeks ago from Zambia, uh, the church is very, very plugged in in uh, missions. And that is the church that I served at for uh, about four semesters when I was in seminary. So uh, Jeff's a great guy and him and some other friends were here visiting this week. And when like, you guys remember when the first set of storms came through, right? If you guys ever seen that movie Twister, you know, you're like watching Twister on TV and then you look outside and everybody's like, is this normal? I'm like, not really. I didn't say it, but it was like, it reminded me of Texas. Anybody, Curtis, you know, you used to, all right, Texan. Anybody ever been like to Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, those types of areas? And then when it gets really, really hot, you see that wall cloud. It's just like this black wall in the sky. And then, then you're like, it's about to get ugly. So Virginia, welcome to Texas. So let's take our Bibles and go to John, uh, Mark chapter four. This is going to be our final and our fourth message in our series, Soundly Saved. We're looking at the subject of how do I know if I'm really saved? We looked at different messages like there's a lot of people in the U.S. who may have be involved in church or they've they've come and they've been baptized or sprinkled at a church. They may even teach Sunday school or, t- or sing in a choir. But there's kind of like that nagging little doubt in the back of their mind. How do I know for sure? Can I know for sure if I'm really saved, if I'm really born again? And if you have your, your outline, we're going to try to drive this thought home. Uh, it's the subject of backsliders. And here it is. You can't be a backslider unless you slid forward in the first place. How many of you have ever heard someone say, I am a backslider? Can I see your hand on a Sunday morning? I'm a backslider. I have been a backslider. That's a huge thing in the South, right? Like in the South, we've kind of got this method. If you haven't noticed the method, it's kind of like this. We get a lot of kids to come to VBS. Good thing. Amen? Like that's... That's good, right? Like teaching Jesus to children is good. And, and sometimes maybe it's like our, our fire for the Lord gets a little bit ahead of our wisdom. And maybe a kid comes and they say, I want to know about Jesus. And we may say something like this. Well, if you'll just repeat these words after me and pray this prayer, you're never going to have to worry about anything again. Now, we know that faith in Christ saves, right? No matter who it is, what age, how old they are, I tweeted this past week that nobody's too old to get saved. Can we amen a tweet? Right? Like you're never too old to get saved. But sometimes we kind of, we, we kind of like delve over into the selling, uh, industry and we pull out some things and we just say, well, if you just say these magic words, then you're never gonna have to worry about anything again. We don't talk to people about things like hell. 
We don't talk to people about things like repentance, like hardcore, like I am cutting the chain. I'm, re- I'm like refusing, turning my back on my old way of life, giving everything to Jesus. And we kind of just like say, well, just, just repeat this abracadabra prayer and then everything's going to be fine. And people don't really get saved, but then we, then we dunk them, don't we? And if you come from an old school Baptist church, it's fill this card out, right? Like, y'all remember that? You know, you come down, like, let me ask you your name. Like, here's a, here's a little golf pencil. Here's a card. Fill it out. Then we get involved in the life of the church and then we're taught what it means to be a Christian. And then sometimes we go away to college or we get to the point of high school. And then it's kind of like our love or our desire or our interest in the things of God just fades away. And the story goes like this. When I was four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and the pastor gave the invitation, I walked down the aisle, I shook the pastor's hand, right? That's a Baptist thing. You know what the Baptist pastor handshake is? It's like a handshake, hand on the bicep, or, you know, hand on the shoulder of the pastor pat. You ever got that before? And he usually goes like this. Shake the hand, amen, brother, or sister, or whatever it is. Like, you got the pastor handshake, you got the pastor, you know, pat on the back, and then you came forward, and he said, pray this prayer, and you didn't really know what was going on. Maybe you're so young, you prayed the prayer. And then he, 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 you know, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm in front of a whole church. And like all these adults, everybody's standing, staring back at you. And he says, this is Johnny, this is Susie. And they just prayed to ask Jesus in their heart. And everybody's like, amen. And you're like, well, I think they like me. And then maybe the next week or a few weeks later, you get baptized. And then, and then, then like when life really starts, middle school, high school, college, young adult years, you find that you don't really have a desire to read the Bible. It's kind of something that you did out of obligation. You no longer really desire to hear the word preached. Like you rarely go to church, never share the gospel with your friends, maybe give once in a while to like international missions, but it's really not a priority. The things that go on, you know, in our heads at that point is how can I make a lot of money for myself? How can I find someone beautiful or handsome to marry? How can I get a nice house? How can I get the best grades so that I can get the best internship? And life is all about me. And then maybe, let's say, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, we show up at church, and all of a sudden, we hear the Word of God preached, and it's just like the Holy Spirit comes and knocks down the wall door of our heart and says, you need to be saved. What happened a long time ago, your life has simply been evidence that it wasn't for real. Let's stop for just a moment. You see, Jeff, are you saying that if I've ever prayed a prayer to ask Christ in my life, does that mean that I'm not saved? No, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. You can definitely have the heart of repentance and cry out and say, Jesus, I'll pray whatever prayer. I just need you in my life. And God can hear that and He can definitely save people. But often when we come back to church, that's the Southern Baptist thing. We go through all that and we leave the Lord for decades and then we come back to church and then we say something like, well, I'm saved I just need to rededicate. That's the Baptist word, right? Rededicate. You know, it's interesting, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be facetious or funny, but, but we don't find anything in here that speaks about rededication. We do find the Bible speaking about repentance. We do speak, find the Bible speaking about things like salvation. So, so, so we come back, 
after being like like living for the devil like for a long time, and then we come back thinking that we're saved because of something that we did. Right? Like, I did that. Have you been saved? Sure. Well, well what happened? Well, I... Well, you what? I prayed the prayer. The prayer. I walked the aisle. I... Well, last time we checked that salvation is grace through what? Church, help me out. Grace through faith. So it's God's gift that we receive. And like, you don't really do much to receive a gift, do you? Right? You're basically like, okay, I receive it. And then we come back and we want to rededicate what is often a lifeless corpse. And we look at Mark chapter 4. Jesus blows all of that out of the water. Go with me to verse number 1. The Bible begins and it says, And again he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them things in parables, which is like an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That, that's a parable. And his teaching, he said to them, listen, or hearken, if you're reading the King James, a sower, a farmer went out to sow. So he's got a bunch of seed and he's throwing the seed. And here's what happens, verse 4. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it what? sprang up, like immediately shot up since it had no depth of soil or depth of earth. Verse 6, And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no fruit, it withered away. A root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And then Jesus ends with like this really curious phrase in verse nine. He says, "And he who has ears, let him." Here, So Jesus gives us four different responses to the gospel. Now notice what the first one is. It is basically, um, if you're taking notes, this is in verse 4, and then beginning there in verse 10, Jesus explains what he's talking about. It is this. One of the responses that people have to hearing the gospel is that they are simply deceived by Satan. Notice there in verse number 4, like the seed fell along the path. Now, th- this was not like a concrete path. This was just like a path that had hard... You ever notice like cow paths, how hard they are? Or like a schoolyard where kids are just like on the ground all the time and it just beats it down. And then if you go over to verse number 15, Jesus says, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear... Who? Yeah, Satan immediately comes. So he doesn't waste time and takes away the word that is sown in them. This is so interesting. The word here, when it speaks of devour, it means like to ravenously devour. Have you ever seen like crows or birds eat out of a bird cedar or a bird feeder? Bird cedar. That's a new word. All right. So you see the birds come and they begin to like just just devour and eat up. I mean, the first time you ever heard the phrase like eating like a pig. You grow up, maybe some of you farms or whatnot. The, the first time I saw a pig really eat was a few years ago and the mouth did not stop moving. It was like this. 
And it kept going. And it kept going. Like the pig could have choked to death. And the pig kept going. The pig... It was unbelievable. I'm like, now I know what my mom was talking about. Stop eating like a pig. Like, like devouring stuff. Notice the Bible says, this is so interesting, that whenever, anytime, Jesus here or us today tells somebody about the gospel, Satan swoops in and tries to devour it. Take it away before it can take root. So that means that anytime we share the gospel, there's a supernatural struggle going on. You say, Jeff, what, do, what does Satan use to like talk people out of it? Well, it could be things like God doesn't exist. The Bible's full of errors. How can you really be sure? Maybe that Christian is not walking the way they should. Maybe that preacher is a crook. All of those things don't relate to the whether the message is true except for the existence of God and the truth of God's Word. Let me give you a couple things um, here. We've got our website. If you have questions about this, we've got a whole section on our website called Got Questions. It's an absolute overload of people having questions about the veracity of God's Word. Uh, one would be, um, this is for the nerds here this morning. There's recently discovered, and this comes from Dan Wallace, who um, is one of the Greek experts at Dallas Theological Seminary, a new discovery of the Gospel of Mark. little manuscript, little piece of fragment that they found that has the original uh, Greek and so forth uh, that is 100 to 150 years earlier than the previous one. The earliest uh, manuscript that we have from the New Testament is 125, what scholars believe is the Gospel of John. We now have, it's been uh, looked at by some of the greatest experts in the world for original languages and so forth. In the first century, we have a section of the Gospel of Mark. And guess what it says? Exactly what the section of Mark that we have today says. If you're an atheist, by the way, I love atheists. Is that weird? I love atheists because they're willing to be honest. If you talk to a person in church who's been in church for years and they're lost, they know all the right words to say, but an atheist is going to sit there and you're going to be able to talk. There's books like Signature in the Cell by Dr. Stephen Meyer, where even, I mean, people who may not even believe in the Lord yet, they're looking at DNA and they're like, how did all this come through like random processes? Like, uh, like the DNA code that has all of the stuff, like your eye color and your height and metabolism and so forth. Like, how did that come together? Satan will use all sorts of lame lies to try to get people to not believe in the Lord. Uh, remember my first church in Iron City, Georgia. It was an awesome, awesome time in my life. Uh, the Lord really worked. We were able had to, to do some building onto the church, a very small country church. And, and they had one of those walls, those holding walls in the back. And they had to, it had this old school brick and mortar, like when they really used to make stuff that stuck together, right? Have you ever tried to work on an old house? The wood's better. The cement's better. They had to get in there and jackhammer it off brick by brick. And I was sitting there, you know, watching the guys work and trying to help. I said, you know, that's what Satan tries to do to even people who have heard the gospel in church. We hear it. We say, well, you know, I, I made maybe a decision when I was a kid, but I, I, it wasn't the real thing. I know I need to get saved for real. And we, we believe like this, this structure of the gospel. And Satan comes in and will try to pick it apart brick by brick. By the way, if you have questions about whether the gospel is true, I would love to talk to you. 
We have people, Ben Robertson, we've got some great people in this church who know God's Word. If you're searching for answers, Jesus says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be open. But one thing that Satan does is he tries to come in and steal the Word through false ideas. Number two, not only are people deceived by Satan when they hear the Gospel, but secondly, people are deceived by emotions. Look in verses 5 and 6. Got the seed that fell on rocky ground. And since there wasn't a lot of dirt there, it sprung up right, like very quickly. Then go to verse 17. Jesus says, or verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So this is kind of like the opposite. You take one person who hears the word, Satan puts false ideas in their mind. Like, I, you know, like are, you, are you serious? Like, this book was written thousands of years ago, and you know, like, churches for old people. And I mean, are you really going at, y'all okay? That's one of the prevailing things. By the way, if you're a younger person, that there is no age on that. I'm being very careful. Don't you think it may be wise to gain insight from people who have been here longer than we have? Hello. So I talk like to my friends. I'm like, dude, we're we're idiots. We haven't been here long at all. That's why the New Testament is so, uh, like, you know, talking about elders. And that's not just spiritual maturity. It's people who've walked with Jesus for years. Now, if you've not walked with Jesus for years, you know, give you a ball bearing and have it flat in 20 minutes, right? Like, if you grow older in Christ, you can grow sweeter. If you grow older without Christ, you are mean as a snake. Amen? And we've known both, alright? So, the second one is, it says it springs up quickly. I don't know if I'm scaring people yet or not, but this is, this is a great text. Notice that they receive it with what? Joy. It's kind of like this. Hear the gospel, it's like, whoa, Jesus loves me. Awesome. I love myself. You, you mean Jesus is gonna forgive me? Well, that's, that's good. Cause I deserve to be forgiven. What? Okay, l- l- reading the bulletin. Free childcare? Excellent. Covered dish dinners? Awesome. In a Baptist church. Y'all okay this morning? Like, it's all of these things. It's like, I get all of this stuff. It's kind of like sometimes in politics where you get some people like, I want, I want, I want more of the pie, I want more of the pie, I don't want to contribute to the pie, I want more, more, more. Me, me, me. And it's kind of like that What About Bob movie where he goes to his psychologist and he says, I need, I need, I need. And it's just like, yes, all of the good stuff. You know, and sometimes like they'll get involved in church. And we, we saw a video this morning um, in our Sunday school class that, that, that ties in, is, use this illustration. Like sometimes it gets like to really hyper-spirituality. Uh, like, you know, the bumper stickers and the so forth. And these people are like, you know, just, all right, Jesus, they don't understand the gospel. Now notice what happens in verse number 17. And they have no root in themselves. So when persecution and tribulation come, it's kind of like the tranquilizer dart of a false conversion begins to wear off. 
This is the way it, it shakes down in a Baptist church. Someone will come and they will respond to Jesus. I'm all for revivals. I'm all for the best music that we can possibly do. But we may have all have been in those, those services where it's just very moving. And people are crying. Like, what are you crying for? I don't know why I'm crying. I'm just crying. I love Jesus. I love you. I love this church. I love my dog. I love my mama. I love America. And I'm just crying like I'm emoting, right? Like, like guys, you know, and they'll sit there and try to like cover it up. But if there's no repentance, it's not real. They may get involved in church, but after a while, when someone offends them or when someone outside challenges them, the Bible says, notice, go with me to verse number 17. They have no root in themselves and endure for a while. For a time, by all appearances, it looks like they serve Jesus and they love Jesus. There is some type of, it looks like fruit there, but it doesn't remain. When persecution hits, they leave. In the first century church, this would have been basically, if you love Jesus, if you serve Jesus, we're throwing you to the lions. Today, in church in America, it's if someone offends me or if I don't like the way that the church is going. Then I get mad and then I leave. Are you all okay this morning? People get offended because of the Word. Sometimes this happens where people come, they're like, I'm all about Jesus, I'm all about love. And then when somebody likes, like, you know, we, we got to get to the hard stuff too. Like when the Bible says that God is holy, that means that He's holy and He can't accept sin. Like if, and if we're going to see the Lord, we must walk in holiness and follow Him. Have you truly been saved? Like are you, are you willing to forgive people? Like, oh, I don't know about that. Well, the Bible says that if Jesus... Matthew chapter 6, if you don't forgive other people, God will not forgive. Well, I don't want to hear that. Things like, like tough things like hell or maybe the wrath of God. And people are like, ah, you know, I, I was in this for love. Right? Like the, the I, I just want to, want to, want the good stuff. They don't understand that the only way we got the good stuff is because Jesus endured all of the worst stuff on the cross. So whenever there's persecution or tribulation, they fall away. Another aspect of this would be sometimes people come and they say, I'm, I want to get saved, I'm in, I'm in. But then something bad happens in their life. Cancer hits in the family, there's a divorce. And then it's like they close their Bible, put it on the, on the desk, and they shake their fist at God and say, how dare you? How dare you? We may not say these words, but it's kind of the attitude of our heart. How dare you repay me this way? This, this is a very, very, very um, tense type of sermon. Okay, The only thing that we deserve is God's judgment. He will be totally righteous and totally just if He never gave me one chance to get saved. But in His grace and in His mercy, He offered us the chance to be born again. So we can't ever say, God, you owe me, unless we say, God, you owe me what I deserve, and that is hell and separation from God forever. And this is, this is, like, this is so I can, can you guys sense a little bit of tension here? This is not a popular message. This is not one that, like, we enjoy hearing so much. But when the text says that they endure for a while, then when the tough stuff comes, they immediately fall away. It's speaking of when the hard things of life hit. And they fall away. Number three, 
Another response to the gospel will be that people are distracted by stuff or materialism. Go to verse number 7. Other seed fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Go over to verse number 18. And the others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the, they are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for their things enter in and, here we go, little ultimate fighting and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is like the person who says, man, I believe in the gospel. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, my heart has been prepared. And then when they supposedly receive the word of Christ, all of these things come in and begin to choke the word. Have you seen this before? Maybe this is you here this morning. You see, I wanted to follow Christ at one point, but all of these things came into my life to where I no longer had time. I'm trying to get away from where I tell people I don't have time. Whatever it is. Because you know what I ultimately do? Not much you guys, but I do what I value. I have as much time as you do. You have as much time as I do. And I've heard it so many times where people say, I don't have time. And it's usually for the things of the Lord. Do you know what the way that we spend our time, it reflects? It reflects upon our heart. It reflects upon what we value. And we've seen the Lord do great things among us. But one thing that concerns, I just to be very, very honest this morning, is how few of us um, come to to pray on a midweek prayer service to pray for missionaries, to pray for lost people. Given the size of often our Sunday morning attendance, how few people get involved in a Bible study. See, now, Jeff, are you saying that people who don't come to Wednesday night or come to Sunday school are lost? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that ultimately, progressively, every week, every month, how we spend our time is simply reflective of our hearts. And the Bible says right here that it was good soil. It received the word, but these things choked it out. So, Jeff, this is a really downer message. We appreciate that. It's hot. All the power is out. What else can you do for us? Let's go to verse number 8 and 9. I'm so glad I came to church today. Verse number 8. Another seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up, increasing 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. This finally, there is a response to the Gospel where people are convicted of sin and they repent of it. Can I get an amen on a Sunday morning? The real deal. The real thing. Now, I remember sitting in church like when we had wild evangelists. Some of you guys remember. Churches don't do that much anymore. Like these guys that would come in, man, if, if their gospel gun could be compared to a real gun, they had like an M16 full, rolled it with like a hundred round drum. Man, they're just mowing it down. Like, didn't care what anybody thought. They're like, you're going to hell! And then you get saved. You're like, okay! And, like, and, then, and then you heard the gospel, right? You heard the gospel. And by the way, Sometimes it's okay to get worked up. You know, maybe it'd be a little bit weird, like if you're with your friend at McDonald's, start trying to share the gospel. Need to get saved, and like at McDonald's is like really quiet. Maybe want to like tone it down for that that situation. But like when you hear the word and it sinks in. And it takes root. God is going to produce the fruits. That's what's so amazing about this passage, is that the word, the seed, has the power. And all that the ground does, all that our hearts do, is simply receive it. Doesn't that take a load off of our shoulders? 
Because, like, we're going through this downer message, and you're like, oh my gosh, like, that's me, and that's me. Like, I can, uh, what can I do for the Lord? Nothing. You know what I can do for the Lord? Like Matt Foley said, a whole lot of jack squat. All right? Like, we can't do anything for the Lord, but we can receive His Word that's able to produce things from our lives. And notice what Jesus says over here um, in verse number 20. He says, but those that were sown on the good soil. You say, well, Jeff, how do I get my heart from being the path, like the hardened heart, to where I don't even believe the gospel? How do I get it to that or... or from that to this, or maybe like on the stony ground, like, dude, I, I'm just emotional, man. Like sometimes I get worked up over stuff, like music or a sermon, and I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And I walk out, I'm like, that's great. I'm ready to put that into practice. And then after I finished eating lunch, I don't even remember what went on. Like I, I just get distracted. Hey, what, what about you? Say, Jeff, what about me? I believe all of that stuff. I want to serve Christ, but like I've got so much other things, so many other things that are like pulling me away. I feel like the thorns of my job, having my kids or my family in sports or family activities or my own hobbies, choke the Word. And I never do anything for the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said that it is the law, the Ten Commandments, that plows up the hardness of our heart. Things like what we really know we are before God. That He knows our thought life. That He knows what we've done. In the past, maybe that our husband and wife doesn't even know about before we met them. Things that we have done since we've been married that they don't even know about. Maybe things that I've done at my job, things I've taken, things I've stolen, been shady on my income tax. I've lied to people in order to get out of situations. I've tried to act like I'm one thing, but I know I'm another. Like all of that stuff. It's repentance. It's simply coming to the place saying, Lord, you are right about what I am and I need you to change my life. Let me ask you two questions. When was the last time that you were strongly moved for someone to be saved? Secondly, was there ever a change in your desires when you say you supposedly got saved? The Bible says that if any man is in Christ, he is a brand new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. I know you've heard me reference uh, Pastor Johnny Hunt at church in Atlanta. When he went there, they had about 200 people. The church had split. They were having like hour-long uh, business meetings, hour-and-a-half-long business meetings, which some people thought that it was the beginning of the tribulation. You know what I'm talking about? Like the church had split. It was just like a lot of drama. Bailey Smith came in and preached like old school. You know, Bailey Smith preached and... Uh, and half of the church members, not guests, not people who were out doing whatever on Friday night, regular Sunday morning attendees, half the church, as we say it in the South, got saved for real. Now they send missionaries all over the world. It ultimately begins with us. I'm preach a message next week about going into all the world. We've done a lot of expository preaching. I pray since I've been here. But I want to take these four weeks. And I know, I pray that this has shaken every single one of us. Through the Spirit is not evident in your life. If your family could not say with truth, yes, they are 
on the average, more than, more than not, filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those things. They can't say that about you. If they say, you know, I, I'm walking on eggshells around them all the time. They don't read the Word. They don't have a desire for God. They could care less if anybody ever gets saved on a Sunday or if anybody that they've never met gets saved. If that's what they truthfully, like if we had them put their hand on a Bible and swear in court, what would you say? What would they say about you or about me? You know what my family could have said? So Jeff has a horrible temper. He's prideful. It takes him a long time to ask forgiveness. It takes the parents to twist his arm. And if they had known about the things that they did not know about, they would say Jeff is involved in all sorts of things. His mouth is just, he could probably keep up with a sailor, even though he was homeschooled, which is a really, really awkward thing. Jeff's heart is wicked. Doesn't really care about people. When he comes to church, it's all about just meeting, meeting girls, making connections. That's what it was. It was a cultural thing for me. Holy Spirit came to me and said, you know what? You're never saved. You need to be born again. So why, you know, rededicate, ask forgiveness. No, no, no. Here's what the word says. Have you repented? I had never repented. Never been a change. The other fruit of the Holy Spirit never was a change. Never the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Was there the fruit of good works? I did good things, but it was simply out of a selfish ulterior motive. And what the Holy Spirit calls us all to do, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves and see whether you're in the faith. 